Hello and welcome to another weird intro where I have to explain that the following podcast you're about to hear was in fact recorded on the 29th of July 2017 and is only uh, being released at some point in March 2020. You see how vague I'm being? It's because even in the last episode I said I'd get this out quicker and I didn't. But this is it. This is the last of like the backlog of, of podcasts. So anything going forward in the feed here will probably maybe why am i making a commitment here right even listen to this bit this is a i'm going to edit in a clip from the end of this episode now and you'll hear why i am an unreliable narrator what will happen is we'll just end up playing something else yeah or 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 if uh you know we don't don't follow up on this for any reasonable length of time then people will start second guessing so i want to keep it a surprise because we did in two years how will people find out whether we're (laughs) whether or not we did anything when we record well, the next podcast, is what I mean. Only only time will tell. Time will tell indeed, and it took three years, not two, to do the editing, but never mind. Let me set you up some context for the intro here. We sat down to record, we typed in split screen into iTunes, there were loads of podcasts that came up. Let's now return to 2017 to hear our conversation. Enjoy. Apparently... The split screen podcast is what happens when two best friends sit down and talk. Alan Williamson, the Irish one, not, not still true, and Craig Wilson, the Scottish one, are the makers of the video game culture magazine 5 out of 10. Split screen is for everything else. I feel like some of that has aged, some of it has not. I mean, our nationalities haven't changed. No. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure we're still best friends. Makers of 5 out of 10, that's, a, that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, oh. I'm surprised so we went back last... and updated the uh, podcast feed. That's good. <laughs> Did, I, uh, didn't, I, uh, haven't put. When was the last episode? The last episode was August 2015. So Jesus. this is the almost the second anniversary <laughs> of the last time. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, it's good to be back. A lot's happened in those two years. Yeah. No, uh, oh, I don't even. I don't even know where to start. Oh wait! I, I, I start, think, uh, need to start with the start with the theme tune. Hello and welcome back to the split screen podcast. It has been two years since our last episode, and I still remember that we introduced things with "Hello and welcome." There we go. Thank you. I, I mean, we're we're about going to abandon any sense of format or consistency here, but I need that. I need that little hook to get me in. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I'd just be sat here scratching my arm like, ah, it's not right. I think I think if we're known for anything amongst our fans, hello, Mark, hello, Dave, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then it's definitely our rigid adherence to consistency uh, throughout the, the episodes. I, I like that there's, there's so much stuff. For that. If you look through the iTunes feed, there's like episode one through whatever, and then there's, then there's split scenes, which is just some random side project this is the time we went to the museum and just decided to record ourselves <laughs> yeah um so what i think is interesting is in the time we are gone yet more people have called their podcast split screen mm-hmm. um so we have what have we got so if you search for split screen and itunes we still come up i don't know if that's bias because you know we uploaded those episodes but according to my itunes we come up but then you've got split screen a geek podcast by sbs pop asia so that's, that's a thing. You've got the split screen podcast by Shah Shahid, a podcast that compares film remakes to their source material. That one. That one. Oh, that sounds it, quite good, see, actually. I might subscribe uh, to that. 
That's kind of my thing. Oh, it's about the, the Indian film industry in Bollywood, which is quite cool, because that's something I'd really like to, to learn more about. I feel very ignorant about that. Mm. Um, there is the split-screen Gamescast with Zach Rizak and Hunter, Hunter Collins, a new podcast where two childhood friends discuss anything and everything related to games in an uncensored environment. What sets us apart from the pack is our often different and opposite opinions on most topics. <laughs> our ability to give unbiased and sometimes brutally honest takes on the latest gaming news. We want to offer a fresh take on podcasting by making it feel like two best buddies just sitting down and talking games together. Which is exactly what we're doing. Well, I hate to break it to you guys, uh, but you've got a long and uh, traumatic time ahead of you. But they're, they're pretty consistent. They're doing that every week. Jesus, um, okay, that's good. So I think I think probably the biggest difference is um, that I'm now in Australia. Yeah. You, that's, that's pretty significant. Brexit happened and you got kicked out to Australia, as I believe it went yeah. down. I, I voted leave and, and took back control. Yeah, people told me to go back where I came from. That was the UK. But, you know, <laughs> rather than admit when they were wrong, I decided to move uh, halfway around the world. Yeah. So you've been but there think, for about a month, two months. Uh, two, two months. Yeah. So I moved here. In the, moved here in the middle of May. Um, I paid a ridiculous amount of money in order to get my stuff shipped from the UK. Um, and, and I'm pretty settled. I've got a job. Jess has a job. Everything's going good. Um, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's. I, I I don't know what to say. Like, it's probably what you expect if you're from the UK. It's a bit warmer. People have Australian accents here, not British. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are indeed kangaroos. Kangaroos at the end of the street. Uh, the beer is terrible. Um, that's about it, really. Oh wow, going out there. Oh, the beer. The beer is like. I mean, you can get relatively nice sort of craft lagers and and real ales, but the standard stuff you get on tap is is fairly appalling. It tastes like somebody else has already digested it. It's uh, not great. <laughs> I feel this kind of weird um, uh, on, onus on me to like ask you questions on behalf of the audience, <laughs> but like I know this. <laughs> We talk. Well, okay. we still Skype. Okay, um, we still chat. Um, yeah, we do. I mean, so, I think it's a good thing to, to point out to the listeners that although we haven't done a podcast in two years, we have had conversations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so hard doing five out of ten whenever we didn't have a split screen podcast with which to converse with each other. You know, it really uh, made things easier. Well, that was always the thing. I can't remember um, whether we ever talked about this on on a podcast, but like. Part of our, our friendships always had like some creative thing. What is kind of something that becomes the primary conduit for us to actually talk back and forth. So meeting at the student newspaper, that was the, the thing that kind of glued us together. Then we started yep. a split yep. screen blog. That helped us uh, once you moved down to Oxford, I was in Edinburgh, and then that kind of flipped around. I went down to London, you went to no, you're hold still on, hold on. No, wait. Hold no. on, hold on. No, you, you're, getting the, you're getting the chronology wrong. There's no, like, the canonical version of our friendship is... Uh, and hold on, you... Because you moved to... You must have moved to new, down to New Malden before I moved to Oxford, I think. Yeah, probably. I don't know. 2011. Probably. I mean, the chronology of the yeah. friendship goes, I chap your door at a flat party. I almost set your flat on fire by leaning on the gas stove. That's, that's the start of it for me. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't remember you almost setting the flat on fire. I remember you turning up the door and me not knowing who you were, even though I just commissioned one of your pieces for the student. <laughs> I remember was. that bit, but uh, the setting the flat on fire, that's a new twist. I don't know tell you that. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I need to reevaluate the whole friendship now. No, there was a definite moment of like talking to people in the kitchen, and then I think you came in and was like, why do I smell gas in here? And I was like, whoop, <laughs> <laughs> lean, lean off the old stove there. 
<laughs> oh well. Well, we say if we survived uh, your attempt at arson, I think we could survive anything. But um, but we but we have all we like you say. You know, we had we had split screen, and then we also had five out of ten. And I think by that the time of five out of ten, you were in Portsmouth because we because I travelled from Oxford to Portsmouth to to make the first issue in your house. Oh, yeah. And many digestives were consumed that evening. See, this is the thing. There's so many uh, steel plaques that can be erected around the UK now charting the the journey of 5 out of 10. So we can have one in Portsmouth being like the birthplace. Um, We can have one probably on the the floor of one of the flats in Edinburgh saying like, oh, a early conception of split screen. Conception's probably this the is, wrong word. That, that draws up a different kind of image. <laughs> I like. I think. I think. I think conception's good. But there, yeah, there were. You could have the. Um, I think you, we should have done behind the scenes for five out of ten. Where like you were, remember when I tried to take a photo of a guitar against a wall for the Bill Coberly piece back in the days before we'd like used stock photos. <laughs> straight there's so many. There's so many things. I look back now and I think, oh, that's a terrible idea. Well, that's that. That is one of the things because we had before um, Alan left. Do you see how I'm now talking to the audience, Alan, and not you? Before mm-hmm. Alan left mm-hmm. Australia, um, we had a going away uh, party in Oxford, and uh, the very good Robbie Pickles came, who is the uh, the puppet master behind Five Out of Ten, pulling the strings, or rather the copy editor. Sorry, fixing the copy. I got that wrong. That's something else. He's the puppet master of. Um, we all had a hangout in Oxford and started basically uh, not venting, unloading, processing, processing um, the each of our different a- angles that we had on five out of ten. Here's what it was like from the copy editor side. Here's what it was like from the designer side. Here's what it was like from the doing absolutely everything side for yourself. And we're going to do that as a podcast, or like as an episode of this, probably yeah. at some point. Now that you're kind I think, of settled, I think, seriously, that there's a it's a good place to have a post mortem because the kind of people that will want to listen to that podcast, I, it's not something. So, um, so one of my favorite uh, blogs is uh, Daring Fireball, which is this Apple blog. This guy John Gruber, and it, it's very good if you like that kind of thing. It's very insightful. But he calls the podcast for Daring Fireball the director's cut of the website. Um, mm. And the thing about a podcast is it's very hard to get quoted out of context. So I feel like if we can have our proper uh, five out of ten postmortem where you and you and I and Robbie and, and Jess get together and have a chat about mm-hmm. it, that we can we can be frank and we can you know, give people some insight on, you know, how, how not to do it and how to do it and, and what was fun and what was difficult. That would be better than doing a blog post. Yeah. People will get the, the wrong idea. Yeah. And they, and, in the in the privacy of you and I having a Skype conversation with you know the entire internet, um, the five out of ten mailbox has been very busy lately with emails like, "Now the magazine is finished. Will you release it for free? Now the magazine is finished. Will you release it cheaper?" <laughs> and the answer is, "Well, you know, uh, if you paid for it, then maybe it'd still be going. You're Mo- money. You're, you're, mon- you're, you're, you're killing me. Money is tight for me. Can you release the magazine for free?" Like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to shit on that one guy. But yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, money's tight know, for me I'm... too because nobody, nobody, money's tight for me because nobody buys the magazine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, that that will come in 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 a, in a future a future episode. In the past two years since we last recorded, that's all happened. Magazine went from strength to strength to stopping because oh my god, the life took over and we each both got engaged. Uh, we both yeah. then 
have changed jobs. You changed jobs and mm -hmm. continent. Um, yep. yep. I've changed jobs back in uh, in Edinburgh now, and we're both engaged, due to be married in the next few years. And then I've just bought a house. So, like finding the time to come up with like a really clever design concept or a really nice color scheme to help pull together some article on, uh, you know, I don't know, how how video games are taking over all aspects of your life would was too real. <laughs> would it be would it hurt? Cut, <laughs> that would have cut too deep. So it was a bit of a breather, I think, was needed. <laughs> and I think I think it's I mean the as an executive summary of the podcast we haven't had yet in five out of ten. Oh yeah. It's totally okay. It's totally okay to have a limited run and then pass the torch. That's the right thing to do. Nothing nothing can last forever. And it was never our day jobs. Anyway, yeah. so But you know it's like it's no it's no it's no hard feelings. You know, we're mm -hmm. not um we're not we haven't been defeated. We had a really good twenty issue run for nearly four years, like nearly five years. And mm -hmm. uh and now's the right time to move on. And that's good. That's something something to celebrate. And um but you know, we'll be a lot more better and cynical whenever we record that full one. But yeah. we are here we are here today because um one of the advantages of giving up five out of ten is that we can work in split screen again. Yes. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> um, so so that's like saying I've given up what? Heroin and I'm just going back to crack. <laughs> My yeah. life, my life's going to be turned all around. <laughs> yeah, but but there are there are big differences to mm -hmm. running a, a regular magazine with a, a list of you know patrons and customers to running a blog because we've always said that split screen was for us primarily, mm -hmm. um, and then sort of friends and family and anybody else who gives a toss. But it is it is hard whenever you are a writer or, and you're somebody that processes your thoughts through writing and through you know, design and infographics whenever you're not able to process those thoughts because you're working on somebody else's. Yeah. Um, and it's not working on things. I mean, I've started up reasonably vegan, which is obviously a, a vegan website. It's about our recipes and lifestyle stuff. Um, and I still do cast iron with Lewis, um, which mm, I think it had just started at the time we recorded the last podcast, but it's a heavy metal podcast we can put in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, but, but these things yeah, they take up time, but they're not cognitively draining because they're things that we want to do and we want to share. Yeah. And split screen is important to us because we want to share these thoughts. Like, uh, you, you won't believe how many video games you can play whenever you don't have to make a magazine, you know? <laughs> so, but those are, you know, games that I play and experiences that I have that I, that I want to talk about and I want to share. And I've kind of done a few one-tweet synopses of games I've played. Like I played the new Doom, I played Firewatch and playing Max Payne 3 right now. And these are things that just were not on the radar whenever we were working on 5 out of 10. So it is like, it is something we can do in earnest and it's something we want to do. And hopefully by the time you listen to this, the website will have unofficially relaunched. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're one of the five people who care about that relaunch. Um, but, it, but it's something we want to we want to maintain and move forward. And I think like the we, we do seem to be pretty bad at website development historically because the first instance of the site was on joomla um and it was really really difficult to maintain then we moved to a new theme um on wordpress and we spent like we actually paid a wordpress developer who did a very good job of trying to configure this theme to our needs but ultimately we were trying to shove a spoken word blog into somebody's photography portfolio site and it made it very very difficult to maintain every mm -hmm. time a new version of wordpress came out so we're now on something that is 
really easy and standardized and that means we can publish from apps on phones we can do things more quickly um we're not we're not fighting to do stuff like hook up rss feeds behind the scenes yeah um so i think i think we've we've reduced a lot of the friction and then it's just whenever we get the chance to write whether that's on a a lunch break or a train journey or a you know a a lazy weekend Mm -hmm. so I'm, i'm i'm hopeful that we can we can keep going and that it's worth doing and you know the few people that that care about these things great let's you know let's talk about it you can just you can just about hit me up on twitter i'm not very active on it anymore because i don't need to shill for a magazine but you know <laughs> you can <laughs> you can you can still reach out but yeah. i think i think writing has changed so much like since we since we started split screen since we started five out of ten the entire landscape has totally changed we've gone to this peak of people paying for writing and then you know, nobody paying for writing anymore yeah i mean there were so many again i feel like we're it's, it's i want to save some of this for that five out of ten cast but there's so many other little magazines other sorry independent magazines um endeavors blogs websites that that set up to pay folk that have risen and fallen and we were kind of kept trucking on but it was only through sheer uh, you know the strength of willpower by the end um but yeah that whole the way i consume games has kind of changed as well i think like Mm -hmm. way early on i was you know, before streaming had, had really taken hold and before Twitch, I was always dabbling in that. I always kind of found that really engrossing. And actually, I, I liked very uh, kind of analytic features or, or deep dive interviews with developers. I like that kind of thing, but that drifted away from just the general previews, news, reviews. And now I've kind of come back, actually, and I've, I've, I've re reinstated my rss feeder on my phone and i'm actually reading through like ign and kotaku and big big gamey blog sites that i used to avoid like the plague uh, i read them all the time really now. yeah yeah wow. it's, it's kind of gone back to just like actually i don't know i think i just needed like a five-year break <laughs> from all of that um, but and that, you were you were the person that showed me justin tv before that became twitch yeah and i remember like you, you thought it was was, was very cool i thought it was less cool than you but still at least interesting enough to show me but uh, but you've you've always been into video hmm. um i know that, that that you know weird youtube esoterica like i now i don't listen to any games podcasts because i don't really care about the news i i basically log into Eurogamer once a day and i only browse the stories that interest me it's not an rss because i don't read 80 percent of the stuff hmm. um most of my things are on YouTube now, so I'll just flick through. I've got a couple of things like, I don't know, Digital Foundry and Gymquisition, Game Maker's Toolkit, and mm-hmm. then Mark Brown, if you are if you back him on Patreon, um, he does a, a monthly sort of reading and viewing list. So I queue up loads of those articles into Instapaper um, and into, into my YouTube watch later queue. Yeah. Um, and most of my stuff's on YouTube. Yeah, so, it's the same. Same here, actually. So just... trying to do trying to do like a print magazine or a print blog whenever you don't read much it's yeah futile at best <laughs> but yeah so one of the other things that we've talked about doing in the past but never had the time to and now it looks like we actually have the time to is to do a kind of game club book club way of getting through the pile of shame um, and, and yeah. migrating all the old articles onto the new theme it turns out every couple of years <laughs> we we tend to post something along the lines of my god i own too many games i should stop buying games and play the games i own and then i typically fail on that front and just go crazy on a steam sale and i'm like 60 pence that's cheaper than a sandwich sure i'll buy 10 of them 
And then, and then one day you look around the the back of your kitchen, and there's like 200 rotting sandwiches <laughs> falling out of the plastic wrapper. Yeah. You're like a when it comes to when it comes to playing pile of shame games, you're like a, a spurned lover promising you'll change. But it, it would be good to do that. And now I actually have you've got a good gaming PC, so you're not playing in that dilapidated Toshiba laptop. No. I'm not desperately trying to make video games work on a on a MacBook Pro, so we do have a facility in which to play games now. A lot of other people would do a game club and they would say, we're going to play this and then you can, you know, we'll have a discussion about it and see what you all thought. We don't care about that. Like, you know, we don't care. But, it's, just, but, it's just you and me. That's moving back towards like a magazine deadline and an audience and expectations and an yeah. onus. That's like bringing all that baggage back in that we don't really want to tap into here. I think that's that's pretty much it. We just want to play in our own time. But we do have a large pile of video games. We've, we've been through our Steam libraries with a fine toothed comb. Um, and then we're going to start playing through some of those games. And then we're going to start talking about those experiences. Because um, I, I had two months of unemployment, so I play a fuck ton of games. <laughs> so there isn't that many games you can get played and you don't have any responsibilities, you know. <laughs> every every shower you don't have is another 10 minutes of gaming fun. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a that's a pungent metaphor right there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing with the pile of shame is that there is a shame attached, right? Some people are like, oh, but so many games to play. Just bought 10 games. Oh, I don't like doing that. I actually want to play these things. Like, there are games like, um, there's even games we're probably not going to discuss, like Red Dead Redemption, which you played many years ago and, and wrote a review of that I picked up for like a fiver in CEX when I finally traded in my Rock Band kit. Um, those are games that I want to, to play and, and want to understand. So, part of this podcast, because there is a theme, believe it or not, even though we've been going for about 20 minutes, um, this episode was thinking about. Um, we talked before on the phone about the idea of um, what was it you said sort of broadening your you know, your, your so, gaming knowledge. So when we were looking through the kind of games that we have together, um, I pointed out that I've categorized all the games in my Steam library by you know games that I'm currently playing right now, some games that I've started that I'll want to finish, a bunch of games that I just got for free, and then there's one category in the middle which I've just called gaming literacy, and I think yeah. that kind of piqued your interest on what like what does it mean for like why why like i I think you well do you feel like a certain onus as well because i'll explain it from my point of view right these are sort of games that i've i've come into ownership through either a humble bundle um, or again it's been cheaper than a sandwich which is generally the measuring stick that i take to uh to these things and i've picked up these games and went right you know what's a good example of one uh jet set radio right i have no burning desire to go and jet set that radio but I feel a certain onus to play it, to kind of understand, because I know that I've seen it being referenced in other games as like being influential. Though so, God, there was what there was a, one of the launch titles on Xbox One, where you kind of seem to grind around on you high wires. Of, uh, and Sunset, Sunset Overdrive. Yeah, so Sunset Overdrive looked kind of appealing, and uh, I remember reading like certain comparisons to Jet Set Radio in that. And so it's like I guess I kind of want to do that to on it is that do you feel that kind of way with games i don't know i think i think there's a problem that the games that we play in our childhood we have an un we put an undue emphasis on it um and then whenever whenever we think about what are really important games you just end up listing games you played as a kid were important to you Mm -hmm. and so i think this idea of gaming literacy is kind of it's always tainted so an example of a game like that I don't think is worth playing, but a lot of people would put in their list as Final Fantasy VII. 
Oh, um, yeah. And I have, I've put a few hours into it, and I just think this is just boring. <laughs> well, I guess well, thanks, just... thanks, Alan. We've just lost half our listenership as Dave's just yeah. turned off the hey. podcast. <laughs> hey, but come back, Dave. Come back, Dave. I love Corona Trigger. Do you like that one? Um, but I, but I think like it's very, it's very difficult because I could be like, well, you know, if you if you want to improve your gaming literacy, you've got to play at least one Sonic the Hedgehog game. Whereas a lot of people would like don't even bother, hmm. and it's I find it really hard to separate you know what what's influential and and what's merely critically acclaimed so for example um a lot of people might have said you know a month after it came out that bioshock infinite was a really important game yeah a couple of years later don't think anybody's really going to be saying that but like oh my god just just play the original so these i think these things change all the time but i think it's i think it's interesting worth exploring like if you wanted to to know more about video games if you wanted to broaden your palette then what kind of things should we be looking at and then they kind of, I'll, I'll ask you the question now, but you don't have to answer me until the end of the show because I've already thought of the question is, if if you had somebody who'd never played a game before in their life, what game would you put in front of them first? Ah. See, yeah, that's, that's see? interesting. That's good. I was thinking about this from the point of view, if you had to introduce someone to um, the world of professional wrestling, like what, how would you do that? Like what storyline would you take them through or would you go with a certain wrestler? You know, do you just go, fuck it, just watch Undertaker, Shawn Michaels series? Um, ugh, so many options. But that's quite an interesting one for games. Like, so what, someone who's like, never, never played yeah, or never really... Just, just, I think somebody who's got a healthy curiosity in the medium but really doesn't know where to start, yeah. what game would you, what game would you put in front of them? And I think, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of different ways of approaching that. I think actually in terms of then how I would introduce someone to games, I'd probably... St- hopefully start uh, i would start by trying to understand like what experiences in their other passions sorry in terms of their other hobbies what experience is it that they actually enjoy so like that if they enjoy like i don't know mountain biking or something like that then okay well what's the experience that you get from mountain biking maybe it's the quick decision making the thrill of going down okay well that kind of conjures up a whole bunch of games that you can take them down like you say the call of duty route or destiny or um yeah like it could be your shooters could be game. Like the, yeah you could find games mirror's li- edge this kind of thing yeah, yeah literally find um a video game equivalent there there'll be like bmx games out there there's the old dave mira series uh where you can totally <laughs> a very I, accurate I believe, simulation yeah the, of, uh, the verisimilitude verisimilitude was so high as you might invite your way across telegraph wires um, yeah, but telephone it, wires. The, the analogy could be something like you know Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, where it's an exciting thing. There's a bit of performance involved in there. It's about overcoming challenges and you know improving mm. your skills. And some people just like um, so. Other people like to ride bikes. They like to just go out for a joyride and they mm. want to appreciate the sights in the same way you know, people go for walks and stuff. And so you could introduce them to a game like like Proteus. That's a nice game. You get to go for a walk. And you get to see nice things. Sometimes there's a bit of history to it. You know, sometimes there's not. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's that's a better way of, of explaining it. And then if you know if somebody just sort of turns up their nose and goes, video games, where do you waste your time with those? You know, mm-hmm. you should just walk away from that person as far as possible because they are not as cultured as you. Well, no, but that, that's where I think actually you walk towards them. You get right in their face and you say, <laughs> you look at them dead in the eyes and you go, tell me what you love. And then you find out what they love. <laughs> and I am try- dead inside. I am a husk. <laughs> Ask me about my kill death ratio. Um, but no, but yeah, you, you, to, you hopefully find some. I guess I'm saying, kind of, you find some common ground and 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 maybe explore yeah. it that way. But certainly for 
introducing someone to games who hasn't played it before i i wouldn't want to go down the like i say think of what what games are like important important and like historically important so you don't just go like okay well here's your although tetris i think is probably the most universally uh, loved game ever you know you don't just say all right i'm gonna line up a, a playlist for you of tetris pac-man mario sonic uh Tomb Raider. You Namco know, like, in 1982 came out with a thick man. Uh, <laughs> a rousing tale that really roused the arcades. It was $500,000 million. Oh, it's very important. <laughs> I don't know why I'm miming smoking a cigar. Nobody's actually going to be able to hear that. Um, Tetris is so interesting because whenever I thought about this question earlier today, I was like, the game would not be Tetris. Mm. And the reason why I think it wouldn't be Tetris is because it's not actually it's not representative of what games are today. Like if Okay, so let's let's reframe this in you terms can, of if can, I were to say to you, what is a movie? If you were trying to explain to somebody what movies are like, you wouldn't show them Citizen Kane necessarily. You wouldn't show them something like, I don't know, uh, On the Waterfront or some kind of early seminal thing that everybody agrees is, is really good, right? And the reason why you wouldn't do it because it doesn't really represent what it's like to actually enjoy that today. So if you wanted somebody to be a movie lover, you're not going to show them so you're not going to show like Battleship Potemkin or you're going to some silent movie from the 1920s or, you know, Metropolis or something like that. Because, yeah, it'd be a good movie. And if they liked but, it, I might get them in the film. But it doesn't really doesn't explain what it's like in the here and now. Oh, you can't say it, but I've taken taken my gloves off because I totally disagree with that. So like right. where because I think what your what your hint, what your argument hinges on there is like the subjectiveness of what does it mean to to see a film today? Like, how would you answer that question then? So, what is it? What does it mean to you? Hmm. I think if so, I think the the current culture around video games um, is a bit like going to the movies to see a Hollywood blockbuster, and that is part of the reason why um, things like Five Out of Ten didn't get as much traction as we'd have liked it to, because there is a big like there's still a big triple a gaming culture whereas what i find really interesting with games are that the kind of double a games games with a smaller budget and more creativity and and less to lose mm. if you if you looked at you know what are most people playing what's getting the most revenue what's getting the critical acclaim i think a good example of it is something like grand theft auto 5 yeah or, or or something like destiny or call of duty or any of those big shooters so if you if you wanted to say to somebody what is a representative movie of the current Hollywood experience, I think it's going to have to be something like the Avengers, some kind of Marvel movie. That's actually what, that's what it's like going to the cinema these days. It's one of these, you know, bombastic, serialized, um, explodey-tastic movies that are like high on CG and and low on human emotion. Now, is that the kind of movie I enjoy watching? No, absolutely not. So yeah, there's there's this kind of subtle difference there, right? Because you're saying like, because by going to the movies, if you mean like literally just when you go to a cinema, yeah, you're only going to get, you're largely going to get that, um, you know, popcorn entertainment films, right? Take you away for a while, thrill you, excite you. That's kind of, that's probably the bulk of those things. You know, if you, if you were to measure like of all the films that came out this year in cinema, most of them would fit that category. If you went, well, show me most of the films that came out in, in the UK like sort of were produced in the UK, came out like I don't know single screen showings in places or straight to uh, online or straight to DVD or some other format. You probably see like a lot of different other genres. So again, that's where I come back to that. You know, 
I guess, what does it mean when you say like, what's the typical movie like now? You could either go by, do you either go by the number of releases that fit that type of uh, category or do you go by the money that they make? Because if you're, you're absolutely right for like games, right? The, the games that make the big bucks are ones that play it, what we would term pretty safe. Like I can't think of a game oh, yeah, def- that's been yeah. a runaway success that was very surprising. Probably other than Portal, but I don't. But I think Portal was like that but weird. Again, itch. But the, the nav of Portal was very safe. But Portal was bundled in a compilation with the one of the most critically acclaimed video games of all time. So actually, it uh, that I think that was the safety by stealth. Yeah, um, because nobody nobody paid for it individually. Uh, something and I don't Ooh, I don't, so I don't was... wanna I don't wanna kinda leave that point just to say that and those games are bad because like I'm playing through like Fallout Four right now and I'm having like um having a gay old time with it. It's great. Um same <laughs> <laughs> you know, Fallout three is probably one of my favorite games. And that those are very much, you know, if you if you if you were to look within the Fallout series, um there was like huge online outcry from very passionate fans that Bethesda were gonna do exactly that, take a very specific um, genre piece and then open it up to the masses and as if that's like a bad thing I think there are a couple of games that have been sleeper hits while being subversive it's probably things like uh, Dark Souls Undertale yeah. um, uh, Stardew Valley those those kind of games that um, you know were, mm-hmm. were weird in a different way Dark Souls being like you know so so hard it basically spawned its own sub-genre um, something like Undertale is a really, you know, mm-hmm. relatable human emotional story. Um, you might, I think you probably draw an analogy between Dark Souls and something like uh, the Paranormal Activity movies that are, you know, weird and different, sort of spawn their own genre mm-hmm. of like found footage horror. There's the, not that well, you know what I mean, found footage, like that kind of camera in a room tri- yeah. trickery. And one of the things that if you look at Hollywood blockbusters, you forget all of like the Bloomhouse production stuff, mm-hmm. which like these shoestring budget, generally horror movies. Yeah, which are actually massively successful. I mean, one of the things we've not touched on here is, you know, the the barrier that exists with games, as opposed to if you're introducing someone into movies or the wonderful world of professional wrestling, is the fact that you have to put the controller in their hands, and so there is then a very there is a skill for, I'd say, the majority of games that you need to learn how to play them in order to even get to like the enjoyment part or the satisfaction part. It's really interesting when you say about Dark Souls, because I would say the, one of the key reasons why that took off in such a way has to be because of all the streaming that was done. Because, you know, there's been brutally hard games forever. You know, and and yeah. on, on the side of, um, you know, from the old games, which were just designed to be brutally hard to get money out of you, to broken ones, to then um, a lot of the indie French games like I Want to Be the, the Boss, which are designed purely to trick and deceive you and require frame-perfect precision in your jumping. I think one of the reasons Dark Souls took off is because streamers were able to play it, and you then get, one, proof that it can be beaten, right? So it isn't unfair. Mm -hmm. It's just brutally fair in what it does. And the second thing that you get, you get some of that enjoyment of watching someone else play it and their reactions and their you know, what's going to happen next, you get to see some of their logic. So you get some of the enjoyment without having to go past that barrier of learn how to play the game yourself. And I, I, I definitely know I've done that for a game like StarCraft 2, which is if I had to make a list of like buyer's remorse 
Starcraft 2 is up there for me because I bought that thing in the first week it came out for 45 Great British Pounds. And I've, wow. played, I've played probably about like 10 to 20 hours off it, but over the course of what must be about four years. So not very much, very, very yeah, that's rarely. That's not bad. That's, that's, that's like two pounds an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's pretty good. Can, yeah, that's cheaper than parking in most parts of the city. So it's like well worth it. Um, <laughs> cheaper than Edinburgh parking and arguably more but, exciting. But the reason I jumped into that purchase was because I was watching a lot of the StarCraft 2 um, professional games and streamers and commentators and they gave me the enjoyment of the game and like some understanding of like the strategies in it without having to actually learn like oh shit what button do i press now oh why can't i zoom out oh how oh fuck i press oh i'm dead you know um, um and that, that that's kind of a that's so actually if i was introducing someone to games i would probably you know start with looking at what kind of passions do they currently have to try say pick a a, a type of game is a, a you know fighting game sports game action whatever so something thematic like the material content of it but i wouldn't probably discount now i like taking like well watch this other person play that game you know to get them over that hurdle of having to learn how to do it so can i backpedal a bit to the the dark souls yeah. comment you made because i don't i don't want to take your your argument out of context but i'm pretty sure like i, I disagree with it so what you were saying with dark souls is do you think one of the main reasons that took off and, and reached critical mass was because of the advent of streaming yeah. and because people rallied around watching people beat it and knowing that it was possible mm -hmm. i i don't think that's the reason why it took off um now i haven't played a lot of it but I've read more than I'd care to, and I don't want this to turn into Dark Souls a podcast because nobody stops fucking talking about it. But I think, I think the reason that it took off was because it tapped into um, a growing sentiment among video game players that games were becoming too easy. Um, and when you think about the time when it came out, it was it was 2010, 2011. Um, and you had you had the Wii, so you had people playing Wii Sports. You had and Nintendo introducing the Super Guide with new Super Mario Brothers. Um, and you had this growing culture of games becoming a bit more casual, a bit easier, you know, a bit more auto-wamy and, and console-friendly. And I think what Dark Souls did is it made games really hard again, and it created a really high barrier to entry. So you could pick, you could give someone a controller, you could say, here's The Walking Dead, play through this. And they, even if they were pretty inept, um, they could get through most of it. There's a couple of bits where you need some kind of reaction times, but it's you know they're few and far between. Well, if you had somebody a controller and say this is Dark Souls, they are fucked. They're just not going to be able to do it. And I think people like that. I think they like the elitism. That this is where the whole thing of the the get good comes at. You know, this whole meme of people having to get better at games. What people like about watching the streamers, it's not that they like watching people stream it. They like that it's a requires a really level of technical skill to beat yeah and i think i think a lot of gamers and in inverted commas like that that community is becoming more insular again they like oh, that so it, what it you think it's a, it's a kind of i think a i think badge of pride type of thing um, absolutely i think i think like they the whole one bro culture and stuff yeah there's a personal satisfaction of that and you know that's that's the kind of thing i would enjoy from it i like i like games that are hard like i like playing yeah. like the new dirt and obviously I'm a massive Bayonetta fan and I like games that, you know, let you in at an easy level, but there's 
there's a solid learning curve where you can get better and improve and you can enjoy that mastery. But I think a lot of people like that it was fundamentally hard. And that's why you get the resistance to be like, oh, there shouldn't be an easy mode in Dark Souls or, you know, it's not the same. You won't enjoy it the same way. And it's just saying, you know, that's the way I enjoy it. But I think there's, I think there's a real element of gatekeeping to that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the interesting things. About how would you introduce people to games? If you think about the games that are popular right now, um, streaming, you've got stuff. I think with the, the one exception being Overwatch, games like Counter-Strike, StarCraft 2, Dota 2, Street Fighter 5, what yes. do all those games have in common? They have a very high level of skill to be able to play it with other people competitively. Like yeah. Something like Dota 2 takes thousands of hours. The reason people like watching people stream those games is because they're too hard to play. Like the reason you like watching people stream StarCraft Two is because you could never be that good. Like, I, I, there's no, there's no way I could ever play StarCraft Two at that level. Yes, I, I think if you if you want to explain to people what games are like today, you've got to explain that like, for a lot of people in that community, I think it's a possibly not a majority, but certainly a sizable portion, it is about skill and competition and improvement. Yeah, that, that is intrinsically part of gaming from the early days in which people. We're getting high scores in arcade games, and they were beating tough games. Like that's one of the reasons I like watching speed runs, hmm. um, because I, I like watching people who are incredibly good at games. It's cool, like superhuman feats, doing things I could never do. I find that good. But what I also like about speed running is it's not as directly competitive. So watching hmm. people beating each other's, when people speed run, they generally do it to beat their own personal goals. I think they, the stuff of trying to beat other people is secondary, and they're generally learning other te- techniques that. Like if you learn a new glitch in a game, it helps everybody out, and then everybody lowers the time, and that that's fun. That that's a that's a that's a positive kind of competitive community. I like I like video games and I like board games uh, like you know, Catan and Carcassonne, where you don't have to fuck somebody over to win. Mm-hmm. I like where you're all kind of competing, but you're also cooperating at the same time. I like I that's that's the kind of stuff I I love. But like Left 4 Dead, you know, like fundamentally like the cooperation better than getting the most kills at the end of the round. But you know, it's a bit of both. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, the speedrunning side. If there was like an article that was probably one of the articles that I, I hoped would would we would have covered in in five out of ten at some point, but it never really came up. Was just that speedrun community because it's so interesting that dynamic of it's so competitive but so ultra cooperative and building on all of their you know each competitor's work or each runner's work. But we never did. We're not doing another. We're not doing another issue. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> let it, let no. it go. Let, let it go. go. But yeah. So if you were saying then, Dark Souls is part of that success. It tapped into that wanting to be games to be harder, um, the kind of badge pride, badge of pride of of completing it, exclusiveness, that kind of thing. How that that needs to spread somehow, right? Like that word of mouth needs to spread. That okay, we've waited. And the Messiah has now returned, and his name is Dark Souls. And oh, look, you're dead now. Um, like how? Like I, that's why. That's why I, I attribute some of that to streaming. I think you're. I think we could both be right in this scenario, where no, um, no, <laughs> like it's called split screen, not shared screen. One is right and one is wrong. We've always we've always run this rigid debate structure for the yeah. past six years. Uh, no, I think I think that's true. But it, okay, so what, <laughs> so well, one of the ways listen, we can look, listeners uh, come yeah. to the website and don't comment because we don't have comments enabled. So don't tell no, us. What. Absolutely, absolutely, don't comment. Just hit us up on Twitter. I don't know. We like just yeah, don't comment. Comments suck. That's not. That's one thing. It'll never change. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways you can see the influence of Dark Souls is in the new Legend of Zelda game, Breath of the Wild. Which mm. unless 
unless I, I don't know, something changes dramatically, it's probably going to be uh, the best game I've played in 2017. Um, and that is a game that is pretty heavily influenced by Dark Souls because it's hard as fuck. Mm-hmm. But um, Nintendo are not quite as friendly at like streaming compared to something like the, you know, the PS4, the Xbox One, or the PC where you can stream relatively easily. The Switch lets you really just share screenshots. So people have, you, know, you can just plug an HDMI cable into a dock and you're streaming. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Breath of the Wild is a good, probably a good example of how we are both right. That people wanted a Zelda game that was hard and didn't just you know lead you everywhere you wanted to go. But also there's this idea of a shared sense of discovery and everybody exploring this world together and finding yeah. new things. One of the things we didn't talk about in Dark Souls was that the the messages you can leave and the way it works with online functionality. That's um, true. So people and that is that's not a streaming thing. Streaming is like one facet of a community collaborating to uncover secrets. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Did you see there was actually an interaction between on Twitter between? Oh, actually, it wasn't quite an interaction. Someone had tweeted the from software guys who uh, or like a team who have made the Dark Souls series and said like, "Oh, looks like the uh, Breath of the Wild Zelda team have taken a little bit of inspiration from you," and the so from software responded like i think everyone's taken inspiration from nintendo san (laughs) (laughs) you know at at some point so (laughs) let's let's keep this in check but yeah you're right Um, but but actually when they they, the breath of the wild team said that you know a lot of inspiration from them came from the original legend of zelda which is a a really hard game and then sort of people go to zelda the dark souls of 1985 Uh, but um it originally was a hard game that, that softened over time Breath of the Wild would Perhaps. be a, a decent, a decent kind of first game to show someone. Um, it's mm. got quite, it's, you know, it's quite a good on ramp. So it doesn't have the brutal cliff edge of Dark Souls to overcome. It, I don't know. It, it's, it's. Have you, have you, how much of you of this have you played? Uh, only as much as Dave has when you brought over his Switch. So <laughs> a wee bit. I mean, I would, I, I would describe Breath of the Wild as um, a lovely game until you turn the wrong corner and then someone will kick you so hard you'll shit out your own teeth. Like it's, it's really quite tough. <laughs> Right, fair enough. Um, so yeah, so in terms of introducing some to first games, find some kind of passion or genre. Uh, the second approach, second facet would be, you know, look to streaming or showing other people how here's what here's what enjoyment can lie at the end of the trail if you push through and you can get to it. Um, so I've I've got I, yeah I'm not sure I had an answer I had an answer to the the first game I would show people. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, because Breath of the Wild is a really good answer. So the game I had in mind, and I've, I've got a bit of explanation, the game I had in mind was The Last of Us. Okay. And so the reason that I thought that would be a good way to introduce people to you know, to what a modern game can be is I think it it embraces a lot of good things, which is it's got a it's got a really rich story. It's got a good amount of interactivity that assists in telling that story. It's got pretty high production values. You know, it's mechanically interesting and uh it, it's it's pretty well polished so i think it's a it's an example of a good game hmm. where if you wanted to say to people here's why i like these things that'd be good because you could basically say look it's like a movie but you're the director and you get to choose to an extent how the story unfolds that's what makes it interesting because you're actively engaged in it that's what makes you know that's what makes it exciting and intense and that's what makes the stories more you know emotionally resonant resonant because i think anybody who said what are these video game things I hear so much about? It's probably going to be somebody that, that cares about art in general. Right. 
yeah, they're probably not going to be somebody who goes, huh, books, they're for, they're for wankers, uh, you know, cinema, what a load of pish. But these video games, I hear they're good, tell me more. Like, yeah, so I think that's a fair assumption to make. Mm-hmm. So you're kind what of looking for... What do you think of that as a starter for 10? I'm surprised by that answer, actually. I don't think I would have uh, guessed that one from you. Um, although I don't know you, you, you really enjoyed the game. Um, I guess, all right. So when you're saying, like, what is the kind of modern video game that you would show? Yeah, it's pretty much your kind of quintessential, um, you know, strong, we often say AAA game. You know, it's your third person. It's got good voice acting in it. So if you're into movies, there's a common language that it uses from film. Um, it's got, um, what do you call him? Troy Baker, one of the... They only, they only two voice actors you're allowed. The other one's Nolan North. So. Yeah. Um, so, so I need to see, like, a, there must be a good feature that someone's done on why that is. Um, like, what exactly is it that these guys are bringing to the table or the recording process that they're not, that others aren't? Or maybe it's just that these are the two names that we all know and that's kind of self-perpetuating it. Anyway... I think, it's probably, I think they're probably dependable, um, dependable characters because people know they're good for games and also they um, don't seem to be involved in any union activities, which makes it easier to hire them. Yeah. I guess for The Last of Us, it's hard to kind of... It's, I'm finding it hard to distance myself from my own bias because it's a game that I don't have any interest in playing. Um, have you not played it? No. And I have no interest what? in playing. Um, what? Yeah. Because it looks so... Why not? So... Okay, so why aren't, why aren't you interested in playing it? It... It's like every other third-person action game. Um, that, that's and... why it's a quintessential game, because it's got fucking zombies yeah, but, in it. <laughs> but, like, this is it. Like, if you want to introduce <laughs> someone to, 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 to games, are you trying to go for the most average of average? In which case, sure. Nah, I'm only joking. I'm not being that damning. But if you... Are, yeah, you I know, was going to say, I don't think it's... Like, you shouldn't damn are you, it are you trying you, to... don't, Definitely don't knock it until you've tried it. Um, I've watched someone play through some of it, and it didn't grab oh, me. Oh, come on. Um, Come on. There was a lot of walking around and then cover-based shooting. Come on. Come on. We've all played Gears of War. We've all been there. Okay, this is like... I think you've, you've put so many so many arguments out there in the space of 10 seconds that I can't possibly respond to all of them. Come uh, on. <laughs> yeah, you, should, you should play it. Yeah, I can see where it would be appealing um, or why it would be a good intro, right? But, like, why would you... I guess my question would be, like, why would you choose, like, Last of Us and not Uncharted or not, you know, Assassin's Creed or not Shadow of Mordor? Because I kind of lump all of them together. Um, so, I think Uncharted would be an okay one to choose. But I think the problem with Uncharted is it's really just... Um, it's just a lot of shooting and a bit of jumping. Right. Um, I think what's interesting about, like, what The Last of Us does better is it has more of a story to tell. And it's it's more about those characters, and I think so. I think that might be a bit more approachable. I wouldn't choose Assassin's Creed or Shadow of Mordor because I think Assassin's Creed bore everybody to death with its own lore, um, and Shadow of Mordor would be a bit too obtuse and gamey. Mm-hmm. I guess I think the best way to introduce people to games would be say they're like films but different in some ways. Oh, Here's the ways in which they're different. And so it's a good so it's a good lens through which to to understand them. It's not a it's not, a, it's not a perfect. It's not. It's not. A, it's not the perfect way. But I think it would be. I think it'd be a good intro. People could at least appreciate what's going on. Then you could say, you know, you know, some games are a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Some games are like Walking Dead, where it's more about the dialogue and the story. Some games are more about the mechanical bits you've played. Other games don't have as high production values. Blah 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 blah. blah. So it's. An, I think it'd be. I think 
for those reasons, I thought it'd be a good starting point. I feel like everybody can at least appreciate that. It's sufficiently mature in terms of the in terms of the, the story and the systems and the art direction. So for nobody's going to feel like it's a bit hokey or silly. Mm-hmm. So that works if we're because we're assuming a lot. I mean, we've made a lot of references to, to film and movies here, right? So if you've got a movie fan, that's probably going to work. If they don't enjoy watching films, then that wouldn't work as well. And so, you know, what other games could you choose? I mean, if you wanted, like, if I had someone who was like a voracious reader, I'd be more inclined to put something like Device Six in front Zork. of them. Yeah, or like you're, and and there's a new. Um, I'm playing through Stories Untold, which the uh, the very good friend of Split Screen, Rick Lane, bought me recently, and it is just a series of interactive fiction games, but with a little bit of a little bit of a graphical setting to it, kind of sound to it, so it's adding a bit more dimensions. But it's absolutely just text-based gaming, and it is like engrossing and uh, thrilling at points, without needing to be have high production values or voice acting or any of that jazz. I think um, if somebody was a voracious reader, I'd probably get them to play 80 Days. Yeah, yeah there's games like that, which kind of show you, well, here's the, the, like the branching paths, basically, or largely, that open up to you in the world of gaming that you don't necessarily get on um, a, a printed page. It's a very broad topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that, that's, well, that's why it's one. interesting. Because it gets a, it, I, think it, I think it's a good way to approach the idea of gaming literacy. Because hmm. you can think more about what are the various aspects that that make up video games. Yeah, you know, like, gg should you make people grind at Dark Souls until they complete it, hmm. or should you play, you know, should you play, I don't know, Baldur's Gate instead? You know, what would be a good way to improve your critical faculties? And I get, that's that's why it's such a it's such an interesting question. Whenever we look through the the pile of shame, we're like, well, what you were going to play and what you were not going to play. It's like I just finished playing um, Guacamole quite recently. It's like. Was that a, a fun game that ticked a lot of boxes for me? You know, it's basically a, a Metroidvania with a bit of side-scrolling beat-em-up. Yes, it was fun. Would I recommend it to everybody to go and play it to, you know, quote, improve their gaming literacy, unquote? Mm, no, probably don't, don't think I would. Yeah. Because I don't think it does anything. Like, it, it's, it's, I don't call it workmanlike, because that's cruel. But mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really visually interesting and fun to play, but... Necessarily, I would miss out a lot if I never had that in my life. Yeah, I suppose for me, when it comes to what's interesting about like that gaming literacy, and as I said, this is a good question because it's a very broad topic. I'm interested in exploring how broad it is. So, like, I want to kind of know what are like the extremes um, that things can go to. So, if, you know, we've talked about like graphics, right? So you can go to the hyper realistic stuff that's coming out of like the new Unreal Engine, mm-hmm. with, like incredibly photorealistic all the way back down to the fact that I'm starting to play Dwarf Fortress now, which is just text-based ASCII art. Like, I would be interested in showing folk, like, well, this is that's the one of the dimensions, look how broad that range is. And then you can go from, like, how interactive something is. You know, there's some games that you just sit down and they kind of play themselves, like Heavy Rain. Yes, you're making yeah. small decisions and you are guiding the story a bit, but the story that's being told for you is very much the story that's going to be told for everyone. And then I would want to show someone a game like say Kentucky Route Zero, which it has like a surprisingly broad range of kind of choice and consequence narratively in it. So I kind of want to like bounce around a lot and, and explore the whole space. That's kind of what I'm after for myself. And so some of the games that we've picked on here, uh, like Uplink, right? I've not really played a game which is so it's like so UI based, if that makes sense. 
right? Yeah, so there's no, I, I like, like I, I, find myself, I find myself hunching over the screen when I play that because I'm worried the FBI are going to kick the door in. I think it works. I think it only works really well, like on a laptop. Mm-hmm. You, know, you feel like you're, you're actually typing into stuff. It, work, it works so well because um, like it would be, so it'd be shit on a console, on a big TV. Mm-hmm. Uplink, Uplink works because it's like it directly, you're doing exactly what that person would be doing in real life, you know? You're not a tennis player through the medium of a keyboard. You're yeah. using the same tools as the hacker. That's why it works. That's why it works so well, I think. Yeah. Of course, her story is like a natural complement to that. Mm-hmm. That I'd probably have yep. have in there is that that list of early games to show people, right? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, there's other games that I've got in in, in the list, like World of Warcraft, which I've, I've tried before. You know, we did a couple series a whole, of of a whole week of that, yeah. probably like seven or eight years ago. And it's still something that I want. I, I always intrigued to come back to to go right. I still don't really see it in the way that all these other people seem to see it. So, not that it's uh, like I, I must understand. Like I need to know what they do. But I'm kind of tempted to give it another try and say, right, is there just a different angle that I could play this and I'll get some enjoyment from it? I think I'll need to. I'll need to see if we can uh, can get Jess onto an episode if because you because she'd be the exact person to talk to about World of Warcraft because she was a midnight launch. Yeah. that was the game she played, uh, you know, for for many years. Um, and she and we we did play it. Well, she played it for a couple of weeks in Oxford as a way to sort of catch up with her friends. So yeah. she would know a lot more about it than me. So I'm not gonna. Not well, going to presume anything or, uh, or, you know, put words in her mouth. And that, that aspect of playing with friends is absolutely something that I've not done. Like, I did it very briefly with you, like, one evening. Uh, if you remember, like, in your flat in Edinburgh, we kind I remember. of I remember. played, yeah, but I think I had, like, whatever, trial accounts at that point. So you couldn't really communicate yeah. in the game. You couldn't really interact. You just kind of saw the avatar running about mm-hmm. killing wolves. For wolves. I definitely wouldn't be doing that now. It's almost unvegan thing yeah. I can think of, running run around the countryside, beating wolves to death. Yeah, but then... <laughs> kicking, got... kicking turtles. <laughs> There's other games then in my gaming literacy which are more about trying to fill like historical gaps or like trace the inspiration. So I've got the System Shock series. You know, I'm a big fan of Bioshock. We talked about Bioshock Infinite earlier. I'm kind of always like doing this in music to kind of trace the inspiration back through different artists and kind of see, okay... You know, because I'm a huge fan of uh, John Frusciante. He was like hugely influenced by um, Jimi Hendrix. And then I was like, okay, listen to him. Then go back through like, well, who's Jimi Hendrix influenced by? And kind of trace back and see like, well, what carried over through that line? And what kind of, what was the different aspect that each of them brought? Like, I find that interesting. And I kind of want to do that in certain game series. And hence why System Shock is on that list. Um, same with the first I half think life system, shock, to do. system shock 2 is definitely in the pile of shame half the first half first half life or half life 2 first half life first half life played oh, played like chunks I, off it I still but think it's really good never never from start to end uh, I, I think it's i think it's worth going back to man i recently replayed quake and quake 2 i think the first quake is really really outstanding um mm. you know more meaningful words to follow but i think that is an excellent development of doom where doom is doom is a game about you know position and kind of weapon management and exploring this but quake really it's really all about space it's all about tricking the player thinking like oh you now you know how to deal with these monsters now we're going to muck about with your perceptions of 3d mm-hmm. space um and i think a lot of a lot of people focused on the the deathmatch aspect of that and the online stuff but i think the way it plays with space is really clever it's the kind of thing i like about games like anti-chamber and things like that but mm-hmm. um 
really con- confined to what you would you think is is true about a about a physical space. I think that's I think that's really cool. You know. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, just and, and um, just when you say antechamber, that's an interesting choice of a game yeah. which I absolutely would not put in front of someone. New. No, I wouldn't even put it in I'm, front of myself I think, again. I think it's, uh, I think it's, <laughs> it's so hard. I, it's great. Like I really enjoyed it, but I think you need to be literate in games at that point and understand, um, you know, certainly understand first-person genre in something about puzzle-solving games to even get why it's so clever. Um, and I get that folk will bounce off of it and maybe not um, enjoy it, but just the whole playing with Euc- Euclidean geometry where you can walk around in a circle but then the whole room changes behind you that will mean I think nothing I, need a, I think i need an upgraded brain to play yeah. antichamber i just <laughs> I, felt, I felt i felt disabled by the time i'd finished playing that like it just felt like profoundly stupid like i was never going to get it hmm. uh, it just it just requires a different level of, of literacy in the same way something like um fez is another one that requires a different type of a, a different type of understanding of like it's very big on like symbols and codes yeah. and, and hiding things that would previously be decoration. And that's th- those are those are hard games for those reasons because you're trying to train your brain to work in a different way. Yeah, I bounced off of Fez actually. Just to... I bounced I bounced off it too because I I don't want to learn things. <laughs> well, I don't think it was even that you you really learn things. That for me is like the example of a bad bad puzzle design where it is just deliberately obtuse and obscured um and so there's a great difficulty in understanding it but actually the it's not engaging in any way it didn't engage me in any way it didn't like lead me up to wanting to know that oh you know all these little symbols in the background that's actually like a type of morse code and if you decode that and go over to this other unrelated part of the world you can you know unlock another piece of the puzzle um it wasn't satisfying in the way like a game the witness um I, you know the I think, puzzles in that I found in completely engrossing and engaging. I think where I think where Fez falls down is it never made me feel clever for solving the puzzles yeah. in a way that something like uh, Portal or I haven't played a Witness, but something like Portal or uh, the Swapper or um, I'm trying to think what else or Braid. Whenever you uh, you didn't get that eureka moment, you know, ha! I've solved this now. Mm-hmm. I am smart. I'm very smart. Um, and Fez, you're like I think I think I solved that. <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't quite a you know direct cause and effect relationship. Yeah, but it's on the list, so we can cover that and cover that in Game Club someday. Yes, well, I think I think I'd, but it's one I need to. I would like to play through that with Jess and be like, we need to figure this shit out together because I'm just too I'm just too stupid for it, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, we've, how long have we been talking? Oh, well over an hour. Yeah, okay. So uh, to to bring it to some kind of close before we then just start, you know, playing games and talking about them, like every other bloody podcast, or like every other two-person combative podcast called Split Screen. Mm-hmm. Um, what one game, um, if you could only, like, play one game off your pile of shame, the one that you think you're most most ashamed to admit publicly that you have not played and or completed, what would that game be? And if you've got more than one, like, you know, I'll, I'll allow you to have up to three since you're on the spot there's no time to prepare. So we've covered one already, which would be the, the first Half-Life. I would then add on to that, uh, I've not played any of the Mass Effect games. And I mm-hmm. own the first two. At some point, <laughs> I bought them. <laughs> um, and I feel like those are seminal games that have, again, influenced a lot of what's come after. And 
and I want to understand where those comparisons and references come from. That's it. Oh, no, actually, here's one more. Uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Mm. So you picked, you picked two Bioware games. Yeah. You know what? Okay. I don't think I've played any Bioware games <laughs> at all. Um, but I think wow. I'd enjoy them as opposed to like, I've not played a Final Fantasy game. I know that I wouldn't really enjoy that. But everything that I enjoy in like the, the Fallout series is all the character dialogues um, interactions and that from what I understand is really where one of where Bioware strengths are. Mm-hmm. I think like um I think those are both really good choices. I mean I've I have played those. Mm. Um and I think Knights of the Old Republic, like I have played this in the original Xbox. I've actually never completed Knights of the Old Republic, but I have got to the final boss and I was like, Well I know what's gonna happen. We'll mm-hmm. kill him. The Star Wars team will play and the game will end. So I never <laughs> felt the need to complete it. Um but it is it, it I remember it fondly i think for me i think dark souls is a big one for me um i've only got um the furthest i got in dark souls was i got through the asylum tanned the tanned the demon in a oneer like haha this this isn't that bad and then i went into a graveyard and just got stabbed to death in seconds um so i would like i would like to play that one again i feel like that's a you know having not played that is something i should really get around to doing um Ooh, there's so many I haven't played that are, you know, vaguely shameful. I think um, I would really like to play Metal Gear Solid 3, yeah. which I do own. I've played 1, 2, and uh, 4, <laughs> uh, but, I haven't, but I haven't played Snake Eater. I mean, I played that a little bit. I kind of bounced off that. You know, I'd say, though, if you've played, because the whole part of the, the gaming literacy thing is, is, is your reference points. You mentioned earlier about Guacamelee. You know, there's no point playing Guacamelee if you've played any of the Metroid games or if you've played uh, Shadow Effect, which was like another... Well, and for, Shadow for me, Complex. Shadow, Shadow Complex, Complex. Yeah, was another kind of good, strong example of that genre. Um, if you've played most of the Metal Gears other than 3, you, you'll still enjoy it. And it's my favorite of the series by far. But you're not going to get anything new from it. There's not a, an angle that hasn't really been explored a little bit fundamentally there's nothing different in it whereas you know the jump to metal gear 5 is like the jump from some of the previous uh, or the latest zelda's like skyward sword the jump to breath of wild is is a step change for them um and it's a, it's a, and it's a totally different like it's got the same you know non-linearity yep it's probably a good like, i think um both have horses both I, are open world <laughs> Both involve yeah. tricking uh, enemy AI out of their uh, patrol. They're hard. They're hard-earned uh, trinkets. Oh yeah, that um, too. <laughs> and I think like there, there's definitely games that I, I want to play, but those two stand out as ones I probably should have played. Mm. Um, and a third one's probably Grim Fandango, I think. Yeah, also um, on my I, list. But I'm again, some... but again, but again, it's on the list. But I have played um, Secret of Monkey Island in its sequel, so it's um, it's not like I have no experience in that genre. It could be some like Baldur's Gate too, actually, because um, I have played some of the later Bioware ones, but yeah. I haven't really played any kind of Dungeons and Dragonsy type stuff. Um, I mean, you could say Knights of the Old Republic is kind of an advanced D and D, but it's not really. The numbers are all hidden. Like I, do, I don't have a clue what some of the stats do in Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I think would be you know, interesting and educating about playing it because the idea of dungeons and dragons has always you know intrigued me i would love to get into that in a in more of a role-playing fun hanging out with friends sense yeah same here because uh, you know if you're tracing back the lineage of games it, it has to go back to 
to Dungeons and Dragons at at some point. So and and this is where like this is where it's interesting to talk about literacy because I haven't I haven't played much Final Fantasy, but I have completed and really enjoyed Lost Odyssey, and I have completed and really enjoyed Chrono Trigger, which are you know similar games, mm-hmm. and I've played a lot of like Super Mario RPG and things like that. So I think oh, I I could think of a third one that I, I should really play. That's a better choice than like Baldur's Gate is uh, Yoshi's Island. Okay. Uh, I have played very very little of um, Yoshi's Island. Which is meant to be a, you know, a, a really seminal platformer. I like platform games, so there's no reason I shouldn't play that. That's that's pretty shameful. Cool. You played Yoshi's Island? Nope. Don't even know what the hell it is. You know, Super Mario World Two. Yeah. Yes. Is you it? don't know what it is? No. Jesus I've heard of it, Christ. but I assumed is it yeah, just you a... get them. Yeah. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> read, read a book. <laughs> yeah. God damn it! Get educated. <laughs> Forget gaming literacy. Do your actual literacy. Go yeah. on Wikipedia. <laughs> but it, but it, I think it'll be good to it'll be good to play through the massive, massive list of about twenty to thirty games, and then think about through the context of did I learn something new from playing this? Yeah. You know what? What was what was what was interesting about it, or if it was so totally formulaic? You know, you know why is that a bad thing? Why did it fail to pique our curiosity? So shall we pick? Shall we pick a game? Shall we commit? No, a, no, no, absolutely, okay. <laughs> absolutely not. Because we will pick. Because what will happen is we'll just end up playing something else. Yeah, fair enough. Or, or, or if uh, you know we don't don't follow up on this for any reasonable length of time, then people will start second guessing. So I want to keep it a surprise. Because we did in two years. How will people find out whether we're <laughs> whether or not we did anything <laughs> when we record well, the next podcast? Is what I mean. Only, only time will tell. Because mm-hmm. we used to do that with Cast Iron, where we try and say what we're doing next time, and then for whatever reason we'd end up not covering that. So I think it's better just to keep it and keep the reader and the reader, keep the listener in suspense. Cool. Well, I just stifled a yeah. yawn, so I think we're at the end of the podcast, Alan. <laughs> no, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> it? I'm, I'm, I'm nine hours ahead of you. Yeah, it's 11:30 uh, a.m. here. It is eight thirty PM here. Crikey. Well I, I'm 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 glad we're back. It's good it's good good to cast a pod again. It is, it is. I'll figure out how to edit on the new software I've got and it will be released at some point. That's a completely pointless statement because if anyone's listening to it, then obviously I did that. Anyway. <laughs> we're done. Well you've set yourself how, set yourself up for success. How do we, how do we end <laughs> these things? Um if you li- liked listening to this, you can find more of our stuff on split-screen.net. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at AG Bear, and you are at CP Wilson. Yeah, can't tell you the last time I used Twitter, but you'll you'll okay, find the thing. But, but you can find you can find us there. You yes. might not find anything interesting, but you'll yes. find us there. Um, we do have a split screen Twitter, but I think we should probably get rid of that because we yeah, just tweet our it? own features. Yeah, we'll just we'll just kill it. Fuck cool. it. Yeah. Um, and, what else can you? And um, they can also yeah, if you like to, that, uh, also you go can get, to, go to five out of ten magazine.com and you will find lots of issues on there that you can enjoy. Yeah, that's basically the tip jar for this. Um, the five out of ten back catalog is good. I'd recommend buying the whole thing, but you, know, you can take it one collection at a time. Um, and if you like the sound of my voice, you can also listen to the heavy metal podcast Cast Iron, which I record with Lewis Clark sporadically. Hopefully, we'll get Craig on for the uh, the uh, infamous Metallica Saint Anger episode soon, which we totally have to do. Such a good album, such a great underrated album. Such a turd. We're gonna have a really good episode on that. That's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be one for the ages. 
Excellent. How do we end this, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> we, just say, we just say thanks for listening and then we just shut up. I think we All just right. stop talking. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>